Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. She's right back there. Miss May, tell her to raise her hand. She's still sharp too, I'm telling you. You, have a, you ought to have a conversation with her. You know, we just want to highlight um, through this legacy project the legacy of Rosemont and the people that have made this church possible and have done great things over the years. And then we're going to do, we've got some more of these videos kind of on tap that we want you to see and, and hear. And uh, just praising the Lord for all he's doing and excited about the future and kind of where we're going. And I've had some questions about capital campaign stuff. You can still give to it if you're interested. Get a brochure, get an envelope, ask me about questions, put it in the uh, offering plate. We'd love for you to be a part of that. But just thankful for the legacy of this church. Miss May, so many like you, and uh, so many others that have come before us that have built a foundation we're standing on today. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness here. We thank you for precious people like Miss May Sheets that have given uh, 50 years of her life, Lord, to this church that have served you faithfully. So many others that have come before us that have served you faithfully, Father. We just uh, praise your name for the legacy that they have left us. And Lord, then we look um, with expectation about where we're going about the future, Father, about the next 50 years, about continuing that legacy, about uh, allowing you to still work. So I pray, Father, you do a great work in our church, in our lives, in our hearts. Lord, I pray for our time together this morning as we open the truth of your word. Father, just, just Im- Im- impact us with your truth. Remind us that it's foundational to who we are, to how we live. Speak to us through your message, Father. May you receive honor and glory, and may we be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Acts. A series that we have entitled From Ordinary to Extraordinary. And we've named it that very simply because every time we read in the book of Acts, we see God using just an ordinary group of people and through the power of the Spirit doing extraordinary things through them. We've we've seen it with the early believers. We've seen it with the apostles. We've seen it with Paul. We've seen it uh, with Peter. God is doing some extraordinary things. And so we saw last week, Acts chapter 11, you may remember that Peter had the vision that the gospel would be made known to more than just the Jewish people, be made known to the Gentiles. And so Acts chapter 11 was really the the birth of Antioch, the first Gentile church. And we talked about how the Lord worked there and how it was growing and the grace of God was evident. There was solid biblical teaching and there was clear purpose and vision. And, And just as we've seen so many times in the book of Acts, just when things are going well and we think things are as they should be, the enemy kind of rears his ugly head and persecution crops back up again. We're going to see that this morning. And I thought, you know, that, that's uh, very typical of our lives, isn't it? Oftentimes we think things are going well, things are moving along the way we had hoped they would move along, and all of a sudden the enemy intervenes again, and either through some sort of a difficult situation, or struggle, or persecution, or whatever words you want to use, the enemy does everything he can to try to stop us. And so the question is not, will struggle come? That's not the question. We all know that it will. The the real question and kind of the underlying biblical question is, what are we as believers going to do when it does come? 
Because there's a lot of different ways you can handle struggle. There's a lot of different ways you can handle persecution. And I would say to you, as followers of Jesus Christ, the way that we ought to deal with struggle and persecution is to understand God's Word and then apply that truth to our lives. And so we're going to see this morning a group of people in this early church that again, yet again, is going to face struggle, is going to face challenge, is going to face persecution. And so we're going to see how they dealt with persecution, how they dealt with struggle. Then we're going to figure out how we can now apply those same truths to our life as we deal with struggle and with persecution. Let's jump right in this morning. We've got a lot to look at. Acts chapter 11. We're going to read the first few verses and stop and kind of think about it together. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen as well. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Right, so he's already bringing persecution back up. He's going to lay violent hands, do bad things to the people of the church. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So we would assume that he's killed James, he's going to arrest Peter, and we would assume now he's going to kill Peter as well. This was during the days of unleavened bread. Verse 4. And when he had seized him, this is Peter, he put him in prison and delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Notice, Herod is serious about keeping Peter in jail. Peter's already gotten out of jail earlier in the book of Acts. He understands it. He seizes him. He delivers him over, to, not to four soldiers, four squads of soldiers to gather him. Now pause just for a second after verse 4 because between 4 and 5 there's something we really need to understand. Like great persecution now has come to the church. James has been killed. Peter, who is the leader now of the early church, has been arrested. He's more than likely going to be killed. Persecution is ramping up. Listen to how John Stott explained it. John Stott is one of my favorite authors, theologian, pastor. Here's what Stott says. He said, The situation in Acts 12 looked extremely bleak, even hopeless. There appeared to be no possibility of Peter's escape. What could the little community of Jesus in its powerlessness do against the armed might of Rome? Great question. Verse 5 is going to clue us into exactly what they're going to do and how they're going to respond to difficult situations. Verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now I want to stop there for a few minutes and I want to draw out a truth. It's found right there in verse 5. It's very clear to us. Point one we have on the screen. In the struggles of life, never underestimate the power of prayer. Never underestimate the power of prayer. I'm sure in a congregation this size, And in the 8.30 service, and in here in a little while in the 11 o'clock service, I bet I could walk around and I could ask people if they've ever experienced the power of prayer. I bet most of you have. I bet most of you could point to a time in your life where prayer worked, where you saw a situation that you thought was impossible or hopeless or whatever words you want to use, but through, in the words of the Scripture, earnest prayer, God did some great things. Now, now here's the interesting thing to me about Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Right? We're told that these original followers 
prayed earnestly for Peter while he was in prison. But here's what's interesting to me. Let's remember, this is just a little bit of biblical history. Right? The early century church, the first century church, did not have a Bible like this. Right? The New Testament had not yet been written. And so when we read, pull verse 5 up again for me please. When we read that they were involved in earnest prayer for Peter, the question becomes how did they understand first of all that they should be praying? Secondly, how did they know what earnest prayer really looked like? Because they couldn't learn it from the Bible the same way we do. Well the answer is they had learned about prayer through the teaching of Christ. Like the apostles had followed Jesus. Some of these people had followed Jesus. They had heard him teach and preach on the importance of prayer. So I thought, you know what? Let's, let's kind of move away just for a minute from Acts chapter 12. Understanding that these followers would have learned about prayer through the teachings of Christ. And let's see exactly what Christ said about prayer. So keep your Bibles a spot there in Acts 12. And let's flip back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We have it on the screen as well if you can't find it quick enough. Matthew chapter 6. This whole section, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is known as the Sermon on the Mount. We've looked through some of these passages uh, before. It's been several years. But Jesus, kind of the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, lays out for us this very clear vision of prayer. He gives us a very clear explanation, very clear understanding. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6 for you. And then very simply, very quickly, I want to go through six things in Matthew 6 that Jesus taught about prayer. Understanding that the followers in Acts chapter 12, as they're earnestly praying for Christ, would have prayed based on this model. Also understanding that as we pray for the desperate situations in our lives, we should follow this model as well. So hold your place in Acts 12. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6 just for a few minutes. These are the words of Jesus speaking to his followers, teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. Pray then like this, and you will all recognize the next few verses. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The, the, the clear teaching of Christ, words of prayer, these are the words I fully believe in Acts chapter 12 when these followers are, are held up in a room afraid earnestly praying, these are the words of Christ that they would have thought about, that they would have tried to model. This is the way they would have prayed. So very quickly, I'm going to give you six things that we find in Matthew chapter 6. As we struggle in life and we use prayer, here's six things we ought to understand. Here's the first one. We have them on the screen. We ought to be praying often. Very simply, we ought to be praying often. Jesus says in verses 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew 6, when you pray... It's not a matter of if, it's not kind of a random, occasional kind of a sort of thing. It ought to be on a regular, ongoing basis. So you really ought to examine your life and your walk in Christ. And one of the things you ought to do is ask yourself the question, how often am I praying? Right? And you, you need to be honest. This is not you talking to me or your Sunday school teacher or kind of inflating things like we tend to do. You need to be honest with yourself. 
Am I honestly spending time praying? Am I, am I praying to the Lord on a regular basis? Whether it's a, a quiet time or in my prayer closet or whatever I want to use, whatever phrase I want to use, however I want to do this. Am I setting aside time to pray often for the things of the Lord? This is the command of Scripture. The second thing we see about prayer in Matthew 6 is we should pray personally or intimately to God. Like, Jesus is very clear when he says to his followers, listen, don't go out on the street corner and stand and pray simply to be heard by others. It's not about what other people think. There's nothing wrong with public prayer, by the way, but you're not doing it for other people. Instead, you go into your room, he says, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Right? You do this in secret. There ought to be a time in our lives on a regular basis, as we do this often, where we are praying personally and intimately to God. We ought to pour out our hearts to Him, trust Him, showing Him that we love Him enough and care enough to give Him our requests. Here's the third thing we see. We should pray in faith, expecting results. You ever prayed and you've kind of in the back of your mind thought, you know, I'm just not so sure God can do this. Or we may say something like this, I'm not so sure God will do this. Right, sometimes we kind of save, I'm, I'm just becoming more and more convinced personally uh, that sometimes we save uh, the really big things for the Lord and we should. And we neglect to pray for the small things. Right, we don't pray for the small things because we think that it, well, we don't want to waste God's time. He's busy healing people and, and doing incredible things. And He doesn't have time to think about my small little... He does have time to think about your small little whatever. That's who He is. And he wants us to pray to him intimately and personally. And then we should expect him to do things. Verse 8 of Matthew 6 says, Don't be like them, the people that have babbled. For, and this is just a, a fascinating, we could do probably a whole sermon series on this next little phrase. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Did you know that about prayer? Did you know that you're not surprising God with anything? Like when you go to prayer, it's not as if God was going, What? When did that happen? Like God already knows. He knows what's happening and He knows you're going to pray about it. Amen. Which means you can expect Him to answer and be involved and you can expect results. I, I love this because it's all about our heart here. It's all about trusting the Lord and going to Him. And God already knows what we're going to ask. God already knows what's going to happen. It's more about us going to Him and trusting Him enough and showing Him, I love you enough, Father, that I want to spend time alone with you in prayer. We should pray in faith and expect results. Here's the fourth thing. We should, when we begin to pray, acknowledge who God is. I love this model because when the Lord is speaking to His followers, He says you begin your prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed is your name. Right? If you're like me, and I'm, I'm guilty, as guilty as this as you are, I'll jump into my prayer sometimes and I'll go right to what I need. Lord, I need you to do this. I need you to fix this. I need you to do this. And, and that's, that's part of prayer. We don't negate that. But the model is, first and foremost, we acknowledge and really remind ourselves who God is. God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the creator of the universe. You are holy Basically, you're God and I'm not. And I'm going to fall on my knees before you because I know your power and your majesty and your glory and your justice. And I'm going to fall on my knees and beg you, acknowledging who you are, begging you to work in my life. Amen. Our Father, you are holy. You are 
beautiful. You are perfect. You are glorious in all things. And then the next thing we see, which is interesting, fifth thing, we should pray for God's kingdom to come on earth. Right? Acknowledge who God is. Pray for God's kingdom to come on earth. Right? Our prayer ought to be that God's kingdom will reign in R-E-I-G-N, right? Not R-A-I-N. It will reign in our world. His kingdom will be made known. Now, now here's what we do, right? And, and we're all guilty of this. We look at the kind of the events of our world, maybe the events of our country, and we're like, you know, I can't believe this, and people are so wrong, and then we, we just want everybody... Well, here's what we need to understand. This is, this is where the rubber really meets the road. Right? God's kingdom is not really going to reign on earth unless believers take His kingdom to those that have not yet heard. You understand that? It's, it's, it's your responsibility, it's my responsibility to share the gospel, to share the love, to share the glory of the Lord with all those around us. That's the only way we can expect for God's kingdom to come on this earth. For God to reign when His believers set out as He's called us to into the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to all that will hear. And then the final thing we see is we should pray for God's will to be done. Now notice, nothing on this list, I didn't put this, this would be the last one if we had it, but there's nothing on this list yet about praying for our needs. Isn't that interesting? In fact, we've already done all these things, we've already kind of learned a lot about prayer, God's kingdom, His will be done, right? Not our will. God, we, we want to trust You. We want to understand your will comes before ours. Verse 10 says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I would say to you, if you're, if you're looking for a model of prayer, and I know there, there are others out there that are maybe a little more simple or, or you know, kind of have an, an acrostic type idea, but this is the biblical model of prayer that Christ gives us. This is from His own mouth on the Sermon on the Mount to try to understand prayer. So if you're, if you're thinking about prayer and try to understand it more, you ought to take those truths and just kind of mull over them, think through them, read back through Matthew chapter 6 because the, the followers of Christ in kind of their darkest, deepest, most desperate moments when they're struggling the most, the first thing they do scripturally in Acts chapter 12 verse 5 is they go to the Lord earnestly in prayer. Now we would expect, based on what we've already read, we would expect now, because of their earnest prayer, for God to do something pretty incredible, right? So let's jump back to Acts chapter 12. <clears throat> let's take a look at Acts chapter 12, verse 6. And let's notice if their earnest prayer actually causes anything to happen or changes anything. Acts chapter 12, verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, we're talking about Peter again, right? He's going to bring him out and execute him. On that very night, so, so at this moment in Acts 12, 6, we're hours before the execution of Peter. On that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, which is fascinating to me. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison, right? No way Peter's getting out. Verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell... He struck Peter on the side, woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Let me just pause there. and just, I just want to say this to you. I think you know this, but let me just be clear. This actually happened. You understand what I'm saying to you? This is not some, some metaphorical or, or figurative. This is exactly what happened to Peter. Chains are literally falling off this man's Hands, verse 8. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself, 
put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He went out and followed him. He did not know that he was being done by an angel. What was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Right? Peter's still uncertain at this moment what's going on. Verse 10, when they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. They went out, went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. Right, we go through struggles. We understand we should pray regularly. We need to pray often. We need to pray to the Lord. But here's the second thing we get. In difficult struggles of life, remember that God walks with us through those difficult situations. In the struggles of life, remember that God walks with us through difficult situations. Some of y'all need to hear that because I think some of you don't live that way. I think sometimes we struggle through the situations of life and we try to fix it and we try to do our best and we try to and we try to and we try and we forget that the Lord walks with us through those moments. Now there's something interesting about Peter I want you to notice because I'm, I'm thinking about Peter and I'm thinking about the struggle that Peter is going through here and, and all that Peter is dealing with and I think, you know, if I had been in Peter's situation... I would probably have been frustrated, angry, afraid, bitter. You know, you kind of fill in the blank. I think if I had known what Peter knew and understood that I was probably just hours from my execution, my, my countenance would have been uh, down. I would have been concerned, afraid, fearful, all the adjectives that we could use. But we see something very different with Peter. Right, we, we see trust and confidence. We see him relying on the Lord, recognizing the hand of the Lord. We see that in several instances, but it begins in verse 6. Pull verse 6 up if you would for me, please. Acts 12, verse 6. Right? When Herod was about to bring him out, so we're hours before the execution, on that very night, Peter was frantically walking around his cell, banging on the walls, afraid for his life. Is that what it says? What was Peter actually doing? Sleeping. I'm telling you right now, folks, the night before my execution, I'm not doing any sleeping. I, I'm going to be beside myself, as probably you would as well. But I just see, just kind of, just written into verse 6, and it bears out in other passages as we follow along in this narrative in Acts chapter 12. I just see, kind of built into this, is the confidence Peter has in the Lord. Like I just think he just knew he was going to be fine. And, and even if he wasn't fine, kind of the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the book of Daniel, even if I'm not going to be fine, Lord, I trust you enough that you're in control. And so I can, I can, Peter says, I can honestly, Lord, fall asleep in peace because I know you're in charge and I know you're in control. I know you're going to do great things through my life. I wonder how many of us live with that truth in mind. I wonder how many of us sleep well at night or relax during the day or are able to find peace because we really believe God's going to do something amazing in our lives. Or would we be the opposite? We're frantic, we're afraid, we're uncertain, we don't necessarily know God's going to work miraculous things through our situations. 
Right, God, God does some pretty incredible things here with, with Peter. I, I want to point a few of them out to you because I want you to notice all the Lord's doing because this, this is kind of a, a, an important part of this text. It is really everything that happens to Peter is done based on the will of the Lord. It's done based on the strength of the Lord. It, it's not Peter's own doing. Right? Peter's not trying to figure out how to get out of the prison. He's not trying to pull the shackles off. He's not trying to break the chains. He's not trying to uh, slip a message out to get to one of his followers to come and break him out. He's asleep trusting the Lord's going to do something. Then the Lord answers the prayers of the people who've been earnestly praying for Him. Look at verse 7. There's a few things that happen in verse 7. This is what the Lord's going to do. An angel's going to appear. An angel is going to wake him up. An angel is going to remove his chains. None of those things were done by Peter. And by the way, it's interesting. Peter wasn't just kind of lightly sleeping. The angel literally had to hit him on the side to wake him up. Like if I'm asleep and an angel appears and there's light all in the cell, I'm probably waking up. But Peter's just snoozing. So the angel's, you know, Peter, you know, get up, man. Wake up. Get up quickly. The chains are falling off. Verse 8, the angel's going to lead Peter out of the jail. This is all the work of the Lord, nothing by Peter. Verse 10, he's going to pass by guards. The gate is going to open for him and the angel is going to free him out into the city. And then verse 11, Peter kind of finally realizes, he kind of wakes up, right? He's been awake, but he thinks he's dreaming. And he realizes what's happened. Peter came to himself and he said, now, right? I've, I've been freed of this jail. Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. See, the Lord was doing extraordinary things in the life of an ordinary man. He was breaking chains. He was opening doors. He was rescuing him from impossible situations. Now, fast forward 2,000 years. Because here's what we're, we're, we're kind of notorious for doing. We'll look at the situation of Peter and his story and the miraculous, extraordinary thing the Lord did through him and we'll say something like this. Well, that was Peter. <clears throat> that was all well and good for him. That was 2,000 years ago. What does that have to do with me? I would say to you, right now in your life, the Lord still breaks chains. Amen. You understand that? I would say to you, God still opens doors for you. I would say God still rescues you from impossible situations. Not because of anything you can do, but because of the power of the Lord working through your life. And so as you're praying and you're trusting the Lord and you're starting to look and, and understand that God is walking through this with you, start to ask yourself the question and pray through things like, Lord, what change do you need to break in my life? <laughs> what, what shackles need to come off today, Lord? What doors do you need to open for me, Lord? What, what things in my life do you need to do? Lord, what incredible situations, what, what difficult circumstances, Lord, are you going to work in? Lord, help me see you and understand you and know that you're walking with me through these situations, not because of my own strength, not because of my own power, but because of your strength and your power and your love in my life. And Lord, I'm going to trust you, even if I don't know where I'm going, even if I don't know what tomorrow brings, I'm going to rest in peace because you are absolutely in control. You are my God. I'm going to trust you and do whatever you call me to do. That's how we live our lives. Now let's continue, verse 12, Acts chapter 12. So when he realized this, right, he, he, this is real, right, he's really out. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying, right, there's, there's that reference again, they're specifically praying for Peter. He knocked at the door of the gateway 
a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind, right? I mean, listen, read between the lines here. Peter is in jail. There were four squads guarding him. He's chained to two soldiers. Multiple soldiers are watching the door. There's an iron gate with a padlock. There is no way Peter's here. You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. You're seeing things, right? Verse 16. But Peter continued knocking. When they had opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord, right? Not how Peter, how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then they departed and went to another place. Here's truth number three. As we walk through difficult circumstances, we should trust the Lord to do something amazing. When we walk through difficult circumstances, we should trust the Lord to do something amazing. Look at verse 16 again. I think this is important, their response. Peter continued knocking. When they opened it, they saw him and were what? Amazed. God in their very presence, because of their earnest prayer, because of their trust in Him, did something amazing. Now we understand that kind of intellectually, right? The question is, do we really understand it with our hearts? And we struggle and we say, you know, I'd like the Lord to do something amazing. I'd like Him to work in my life. I'd like Him to work in my heart. I'd like Him to work in this very difficult situation. I'd like the Lord to do something extraordinary in my ordinary life. What can I do? Three things I'm going to give you very quickly as we kind of wind this down this morning. Three things to do as we try to recognize and understand the power of the Lord and as we expect amazing things through our prayer. The first one is remember God's in control, not you. And I'm telling you, man, that's a shocker to some folks. And I'm just kind of a secondary... Uh, comment to that. Some people would amen that and agree with that wholeheartedly and clap for that and they're not living like that. I mean, you, you really have to examine your heart to see if God really is in control. Because I, I think probably every one of us at some point in our lives, maybe at some point in our daily walk, we're in control and not the Lord. But if we really want to see Him do incredible things, we've got to remember that He's in control, not us. Secondly, wait on the Lord. His timing is not your timing. You ever met one of those people that <clears throat> say to you something like this, I prayed for years and years and years before the Lord did something. You ever met that person? I have. You probably have too. And I'm sure that person, the, the first week they started praying, wanted the Lord to answer and would have done anything they could have done to, to allow the Lord to work in that situation. But sometimes the Lord's timing is not our timing. And sometimes we come to this point of saying, listen, I remember that you're in control, God, not me. And so as difficult as this is for me, I'm going to wait on your timing. I'm going to wait on your will and not my own. And then as you walk through that situation, the third thing is lean into the Lord's strength. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This is Paul. He says, The Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon 
you. I would say to you, if you're struggling with something this morning, you're walking through a valley, if you're walking through a very difficult situation, that, that 2 Corinthians 12, 9 verse ought to be one you memorize. My grace is sufficient for you. What, what the Lord is basically saying is, listen, when you're the weakest, I'm the strongest. And you're walking through the difficulties and, and you're unsure and you're afraid, you, you lean in on my power. You trust me. In fact, Paul says, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because when I'm weak, he's strong. I had a very interesting conversation with a dear lady this week. She said something to me nobody said yet. And I thanked her for it and I mean that. And I would thank you for it if you told me. She said to me, she stopped me and she said, I want you to know something. I voted no on the new building. And I said, well, thank you for telling me. You're the first one that's told me. I've said to you, I want to know. I really want to know. I'm not mad. I just would really like to know. So we had a neat conversation about why. And she kind of, kind of talked me through the process. She said, I, I voted no. My, my husband didn't vote. And so I thanked her for that and, and, and kind of talked through that for a few minutes with her. And she said, you know, after uh, the vote, you preached this kind of mini sermon series on giving. And she said, you know, I kind of thought to myself, we're going to listen to four weeks of giving and what's this going to be about? She said, but the thing that was interesting to me is during the sermons, you talked about giving, but you talked more about obedience to the Lord, which is exactly what I wanted to do. It is about giving, but so much farther beyond that, it's about your obedience to the Lord. And she said, the Lord just kind of worked in my heart like, uh, uh, through those weeks. And she said, my husband and I prayed about it and talked about it. She said, we kind of came to this realization that we're part of a family. And I love the way she phrased it. She said, we're part of a family and we realize that this church, we're part of this family. And she said, we realize during this process of this sermon series and our personal prayer as God's working in their heart. She said, we realized that we don't always agree with what our family does, but we always support our family. So she said, we just really started being convicted about that and praying about that. And we would get up in the morning and pray. She said, the morning of the campaign... She said, we got up early and prayed. And she said, it was literally right before we left, the Lord just revealed to us an amount of money we should give. And so we gave it. Now here's what I said to her. Praise the Lord. I don't really care how much money you gave. I don't want to know. That's between you and the Lord. I would never ask. I'm not going to find out. The thing I love is that for your family, this became a spiritual journey and not a financial journey. And I love it because when we trust the Lord, when we kind of give ourselves to Him and we ask Him to bless us and we ask Him to lead us, He does amazing things in our lives. See, this, this family wasn't even sure if they wanted to be part of it. They weren't sure how the Lord was going to work. And through their prayer, through trusting Him, through asking Him to guide them and lead them, He did something pretty amazing in their hearts. You know, that, that's just one story. I'm, I'm sure we could tell so many others of instances where God has done great, amazing things in our lives. And so I just want to challenge you this morning. I want to encourage you. Whatever you're walking through, and I'm sure there's somebody this morning that you, you feel like I'm speaking, the, the Spirit is speaking directly to you, then you need to listen. Whatever you're walking through, God's got a plan for that, I promise you. Be earnest in your prayers. Don't ever give up your praying. Believe in your heart that God is going to walk beside you whatever difficulty you're facing. And then as you trust Him more, 
as you pray, as you seek Him, you start looking and expecting, in fact, for God to work in your situation, to do great things in your life, to do amazing things for the sake of His kingdom. Because we see another example in Scripture, just like we see in so many other lives, that when we trust Him, when we follow Him, when we give our lives to Him, He does extraordinary things through every one of us for the sake of His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the clear teaching again of this early century church, Father. Centuries ago, that we're interested in prayer, Father, that we're interested in, in trusting You and following You and how You walked along beside them, Father. You strengthened them. And they did something amazing in their midst. Father, help us to, to live that out in our lives. Help us to pray and to trust You and to follow You, Father. Help us to, to see You walking beside us in the difficulties. And then, Father, bring us to this point in our lives in faith that we trust that You're going to do something amazing that you're going to do something miraculous. Not because of anything we can do, not because of our own strength or our own power, but because of who you are in our lives. Help us to rely on that, to trust that. Help us, Father, to follow you in all things. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. Altar is open. A chance for you to pray. Speak to me. You respond as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.